Joan and Roger are two characters that are, whether we recognized it or not at this point, both see the world in the same way. That's very good. Mad Men, a term coined in the late 1950s to describe the advertising executives of Madison Avenue. They coined it. Okay, girls, come on in. Come on in, ladies, gather in. Settle down. What, no lunch? No, dear. This is better. Welcome to They Coined It. Hey, Roberta. Hey, Dan. <laughs> okay, we're in it now because Babylon. That's that's all I'm saying. We are We are in it. I feel like we start every show the same way with this sort of like exasperated wonderment that, you know, <laughs> what we have to talk about. But season one especially is kind of like that. There's just so much gold. We got to we, we're it's an embarrassment of riches to have to talk about. This it stuff. is. It's and every episode I'm like, oh, 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 you're right. That's how we've been, I, I think, know. starting every episode. Yeah. Yeah. Babylon is one of the 10 or 12 top five episodes of Mad Men. No question. I try to do a rating after I'm watching them to sort of, you know, I'm I'm sort of asking myself a handful of questions after I view each one to sort of just get me on track. And and it's mostly been useless. Like what's the rating either (laughs) 4.9 or five. Right. Yeah. Like, and yeah. yeah. Um, What do you love about it? Everything. (laughs) What don't you like about it? People are jerks. (laughs) I think this is the one of the, if not the best, most beautifully shot episodes of the whole series. Well, I, let's just get right to this. You, years ago, you are the one who compared this, the look of this, the design of this episode to Edward Hopper. There, there's a lot of that in the whole series. Yeah. And it kind of, yeah, there's, there's the silence and we're going to talk about that in relation to this episode, but you know, the fact that it's always about looking in on people and mm. that's very Hopper-esque. So there's lots of great stuff to to chat about. We're going to get to it. We have a, we have an old post from the, from the blog about that and with some visuals. So we're going to put that in show notes for you. All right. Let's start with a little bit of Mad Men news. I think the fact that as we sit here today upon recording, IMDb TV is now officially carrying the Mad Men series. So you can watch Mad Men um, for free with a Prime membership on IMDb TV. Um, <laughs> if you Google it, it's really not that hard to find. If you have a smart TV, it's not that hard to find. Right. If you go through your um, Amazon Prime video account, it shouldn't be that hard to find. So it sounds a little obscure, but it's actually quite quite accessible. Yeah, it's so, there. It's, um, it's funny. Like when we decided we were going to do this podcast it was still on netflix then we found out it was leaving netflix and we were like uh, i'm not sure what to do and we just decided to move forward and then we heard this was going to happen and now here we are exactly now the um, the fun part <laughs> is the commercials <laughs> oh boy well you know let's 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 start with the the higher the, the positive qualities maybe of the yeah. <laughs> of the of the uh, of the experience, which is you know look the show looks great the AV quality is 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 world class as it was filmed originally and and as AMC showed it. Um, I happen to watch on a laptop mm. on on IMDb TV where I watched Roberta, it. You watched it through my cable. Television. Yeah. 
So the functionality is a little different and it's worth mentioning because there's an interesting content integration with IMDb, IMDb TV when you watch it on like a laptop or a tablet or something because it's touchpad and mouses and so forth, you can access IMDb content. So you can click in the corner, you know, you move your mouse, you click in the corner and you can get all the little trivia and maybe an anachronism or some kind of fun uh, fact uh, as well as view the cast. This is driving me crazy uh, because like, on cable, I'm not getting any of this and I want to check all that stuff. Yeah, it's actually kind of fun. So I can, you can look through and it'll say that, uh, you know, the, um, you know, this arrangement of this Babylon song that they sing, you know, here's who wrote it. Here's when it's from, or um, I think uh, our friend Matt Zoller Seitz, who had an amazing observation in his, in his book, The Carousel, about the about the toy that Don slips on. That I helped write. That's right. You and your sister contributed to uh, what his research notes for for Carousel. We uh, we did a lot of fact checking and we wrote all the their sort of liner. Um, I don't remember what we called them. They were they were the footnotes, but they were footnotes full of like little blog entries. Matt makes an observation about the toy, a wheelow, the toy that. Don slips on and, and how that's interesting. That note is in the trivia for this episode because of, of that goes back to, I'm sorry, we're talking about the blog so much, but we did that research. We did a like, Hey, we like, it came up in like a comment somewhere. Does anybody remember what the toy was? And then people are like readers, followers. Oh, they, I didn't know that was, yes. that was directly from the blog. I thought Matt uncovered that. Uh, he may have uncovered it. <laughs> he may have discovered it independently. See what I did there? Um, yeah, but you. but we definitely and and we had one of those. My I remember oh, my sure. older brother had that those. thing. Yeah. yeah, it was like a Hasbro staple. Household yeah, and you staple. could take the little wheel. You could take the little wheel off the metal track yeah. and put it back again. Yep. Yeah. Um, anyway, so that kind of stuff is fun. It's it, it's cool within IMDb to to put put uh, take a look at some of that. Uh, something though that I wish they would spend more time on is <laughs> where to put commercials. Starting a zoom in and cutting the commercials <laughs> and then going back and finishing the zoom in is not not the way you want to do this. Uh, so I don't. I wonder if is it possible that they're inconsistent because I don't remember that exact thing happening. They were zooming in on Freddie after the after the the brainstorm scene, and they do like a small little you know zoom in on on Freddie. And like literally mid zoom in and then you come back and it's the last millisecond of the zoom in before it cuts to the next scene. And you're like, wow, someone, someone just threw a dart and hit, you know, someplace on the, <laughs> on the episode. We should do a comparison. I mean, it seems unlikely it would not be consistent, but I don't remember that exact thing happen. And you had warned me it would be terrible. Don't get me wrong. The cuts were bad, but I didn't see that. So you, for the next episode. So stay tuned folks. We're gonna do a. We're gonna do, make notes of where some of the spots come in, and um, I got a yeah. bunch of tampon commercials. Did you? I don't recall. I could have. There could have been one or two, but I'm not. I'm not certain. Let's do a little comparison next time of what the actual commercials are and where they are, and see if it's consistent or not. Just so, just for That's our right. reporting, and then let's never yeah. do that again. Um, <laughs> but I also, what I want to say is that the shows were not shot in acts. The shows were never designed for commercials. Um, it was always shown on commercial television. AMC had had commercials, but Matt didn't film them um, 
with he didn't write them in acts and he didn't film them in acts. So there is no graceful place for the for these commercials. And this is worse than it needs to be. Well, there might be no graceful, but there's more graceful. Yes, and exactly. <laughs> they 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 ignored that. Anyway, let's get into Babylon. Some of the basics. The writers were Andre and Maria Jacquemitan. Director was Andrew Bernstein. His first, I think, also for, for the, the series. He would go on to do a number of others. Of note, other and I'm just going to take a wild guess, Andrew Bernstein is probably a Jew, which is a theme in this episode. There you go. He was personally invested, I think, in the topic. Um, original air date, August 23rd, 2007. This takes place May 8th. Now, this I'm sure is from the blog. May Well, May 8th, yes. What, what, what we would do is look up when, when was Mother's Day in 1960. That's, that's how that, I, when, we, when we give you these, this exact parameter, parameter, I don't know every way that we researched it. Um, there was a yeah. lot of putting pieces together. When was this solar eclipse, that kind of thing. Um, okay. And it always does go back to something, but this was an easy one. That I can recall. Interesting. May, May 8th, which is the Mother's Day, then two consecutive days between the 16th and 20th of May, 1960. So just to start, like we talked last week about uh, 5G was a was a pivotal episode, right? And suddenly some loose, weird, strange themes are now forming into uh Oh, like there's some. There was more meat on the bones of what's what this is actually about in terms of the plot, and I think in this episode we start to see these kinds of things accelerate. We start to see the different stories accelerate. We're learning a lot about people, and we're seeing motion. So um, we've got the the reveal of Joan and Roger, which was a definite little uh, sixth sixth sixth. Uh, oh my goodness, sixth sense moment where you're kind of going, wait, wait. It's been happening this whole time, so like, look, I got to go back and, <laughs> and so every time they've been together and seen each other and hello, and you know, so that's just fun to, to, to for your brain. But um, you know, well, and we will get, we will definitely talk more about Joan and Roger because they are prominent in this in this episode. But learning that and seeing that and being, you know, being in the presence of and that, enjoying the shit out, and of enjoying it. the shit out of that. Those scenes are incredible. We've got. Don and Rachel finally, you know, Don and Rachel coming together and you're not sure that Don and Rachel are coming together until Rachel calls her sister and says, I've met someone. Mm. Right. <laughs> so like, oh, now, because we haven't seen Rachel uh, in an episode or two, I guess. And it's only been one episode, but it's she's she's not been she's maybe been in every other episode. It's been a slow burn, though, with these two. Yeah. I mean, that's what I'm I'm, I'm seeing, you know, looking at it again, episode by episode. Um as we're doing this is uh, how long it takes. This is already the sixth episode and you know, she's still, it's still this cat and mouse kind of thing. Yeah, This is, you're right with her sister. The first that we hear that she's thinking, she's thinking non-traditionally about this. Yeah. When she leaves that lunch, like they did the handhold and then she pulls her hand away and then she leaves and says, don't put this on. This better not be on my bill. This better, yeah, right. This nice but, little and, deflection line. You definitely don't know that what she's walking away with is I've met someone, right? But she makes a decision. No. She makes no, a decision. That's right. That's right. Um, that's right. And we've got, um, we, 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 we see Betty's uh, expression of her insatiable lust. 
which is a which is a which is a character quality that we that, you know that was that was new that was a that was like oh that's really interesting you're absolutely sexually obsessed the, nothing wrong with that there's nothing wrong with that um but it's it's it was a new insight and then um of course peggy becoming a writer you know that's so a lot happens i was going to say last week we mentioned you know this is where <clears throat> we strap on the rocket the rocket booster and it takes us and and it does and i think these are the kinds of things that begin to coalesce around that 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 movement right so yes so it's not the, the rocket ship isn't just adam coming into the picture and learning a little bit about don and this thing and what happens around it it's like all of this begins to sort of get churned up um all of these things are linked to don's the mystery around Don's life and how it all works and how he has crafted this, this image. And we see a lot more of that image making in, in this episode, for sure. Um, how Don sees himself uh, and, and, and how he protects himself when, when, when he does all this. But yeah, we, we see, uh, let's focus on Betty's horniness a little bit. Um, first of all, she writes this penthouse letter of a monologue about <laughs> Don uh, coming up the driveway and I wait for you. And it's all I think about. It's like, wow, that's, that's a really, I mean, every husband wants to hear that or, you know, that's kind of a, a, a very loving actually. Um, Maybe. I, I mean, you're a husband, you can speak to that. I don't know if Don wants to hear that. I, he may feel, who knows? He's got a lot on his plate. I think you want to hear that your wife is into you, you know, just, just on the basic level. But, but there's also a little ensnarement there that, I mean, shouldn't be an ensnarement when you're in a marriage, but he's married in to two a, kids. I don't know how much more ensnared you're going to get. Well, right, but he's also he's got he's he's got a lot going on in other places, so he it may. No, I know, but it's you know, not it inappropriate may, for her to say or think. You know, it, 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 to me, it was it was just a healthy a healthy expression of of how she feels. Oh, you know, there's I think no it's, reason. I think it's healthy yeah. on her part. I think it's absolutely healthy yeah, on her part. That, that's I, all. I'm I just wonder right. if he. Well done. Feel, but that's what I'm saying. He may experience that as more, uh, a more marriage to figure out, more trapped, more. Uh, well, you know, a little spoiler above. alert. We we end this episode with him at midges. So right, exactly. <laughs> I think question answered. Right. right? You know. You know, uh, and, and we're in between with this lunch with Rachel. So you know, just the last thing I want to mention in regards to that. This is the episode. This is an episode where we're starting to see so much accelerate. You know. Uh, there was when the show was first airing and as people first started discovering it, there was a whole lot of talk about, well, nothing's happening and nothing's happening. And I've talked a few times about this distinction between um, plot and no plot, but there's, this is not a show about nothing. I, I just want, I, I, let's be very clear. Mad Men is not a show about nothing. Sometimes it's a show about where the thing that you think they're going to say doesn't get said and there's si like it's a more quiet show mm. with more quiet performances, but it um, and again a lot of a lot of there, a lot of plot points are more character development as you and I have discussed. Yeah, I, listen, I think it's a it's a show where a lot of the exposition happens just as it does in real life, which is to say, <clears throat> excuse me, in people's heads. Uh, there's yes. a lot of time spent on what's going on inside of Don's head or in Roger's head or or any other character's head. 
the subtleties of what happens and how they're revealed, which right. is so non-traditional. If this was Grey's Anatomy, they'd all be in a giant bus accident, and we'd be see we'd be seeing who is <laughs> right. saving who, and that's how we find out who's. Yeah, it's it's right. they're they're. Uh, this is not a show that twists its characters up into knots to to get them to be a particular way. It's just showing no. them living their lives. And there's some right. interesting stuff about those lives for sure. But a lot of what, you know, a, to, a great example is going back to that Pete and Trudy thing from from last week's episode that that doesn't that's a that's a plot that's a plot that is self-contained, that is there to illuminate who those people are. Um, but not, it's, you know, it's not about Pete's writing career or Mm -hmm. Trudy's coming affair with Charlie Fittich. No, it's, 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 here's who these two people are. These, these, these young newlyweds. And we, that's the same kind of thing we learn about during New Amsterdam is about their relationship and how they interact. So, yeah. So agreed. This is, uh, really an extension in some ways of, of uh, all that begins to happen and take place uh, in the last episode of yeah. G and, and we're continuing. So, you know, one of the things I wanted to really point out here, one of these larger themes is we see so much about this cyclical and fleeting nature of life. It's a very existential episode. We have everything from in terms of discussion and what we witness, starting with Don's flashback is about the birth of Adam. Can't get more biblical than that. The birth of Adam. <laughs> then, just as quickly, Betty's telling us about the death of her mother. So we're framing birth and death right right up front. Um, you know, there's other little touch points talking about this sort of the process of not just getting older, but 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 sort of how temporal all of this stuff is. You talk about Roger noticing that Margaret's getting older. Oh, I like you with the ponytail, you know, so what's called her squirt, you know. Um, Roger and Joan, you know, that's the big reveal, but but their conversation is really about, can't we just enjoy this, right? Roger's worried about <clears throat> the fact that he can't keep her alone in a, in a walk up somewhere, you know, caged, uh, the caged bird. The caged uh, bird. That he, can come, that he can come visit anytime he wants. And she's like, can't we just enjoy this? Like, why do we have to talk about other men that I see. Why do we have to talk about anything? Like, just enjoy this. It doesn't, we don't get to have this forever, is what she's saying. You know, we have the lunch with 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 Don and Rachel, where they talk more explicitly about Israel and about um, being in exile and this process. And I think it's a larger one for the episode, <clears throat> which is, you know, Babylon means lots of things and has many, many references in 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 the Bible and um, philosophically, but the broadest sort of definition or the broadest sort of reference that you can hang on to is that it refers to the first Jewish diaspora after the first temple was destroyed and what Jews it, went out into the world. They weren't I'm a, just located. I'm a bad Jew the, and maybe a bad writer. What does diaspora mean? Um, decentralization, people spreading out, Thank right? You. It's no longer a concentrated group of tribes. It's they're now amongst the world. And there were different periods of Jewish history where diasporas took place um, because the homeland, Israel, was kind of considered where Jews were going to be centered. And that's certainly where the religion started. So um, you had these periods of spreading out and then obviously uh, reconcentrating. And interestingly, within the context of the episode, who's coming in as a new client is the Ministry of Tourism for the new 
nation of Israel. So mm. Israel's in this recontracting phase. Um, but over history, you've got, and that's why the Babylon reference I think is so interesting, is because that's referencing um, Jews kind of going out. And now here it is in the early 1960s, and there's there's this period of contraction again, a physical contraction. So it's this cycles. It's these sort of um, amazing, both long-term and short-term um, cycles of of things that come back around, of, like I said, the fleeting nature of things, life and death. So I just see a lot of those kinds of references um, to just how short life is, how long a cycle can be mm. to um, the things that swing one way, then swing the other. And uh, you don't see a lot of that in, in network television <laughs> or <laughs> that, that's not normal subject matter. Yeah. Um, so I, the I'd fact like to, that we get to explore these things is, is fascinating. Uh, just to pick up on it with in terms of Rachel, in terms of that lunch, in terms of the discussion of being a Jew, uh, it moved me in those early viewings. This is definitely one of those things that um, all these years later has shifted for me, has deepened for me. So one of the reasons that I love Rachel Menken so much is uh, I recognize her um, as a, as a, you know, in that, in that way that sometimes you, 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 I just identify with a, with a fictional character, right? Um, you know, Rachel is, Rachel could be my mother, not that my mother was a, was a businesswoman in those years. She was by 26, she had three or four of us, I just lost track for a second. Um, you know, she was a, but she was a, she was a, a, a modern, beautiful, fashionable, you know, uh, take no prisoners woman. She still is. Um, so I recognize Rachel and, and she's of my tribe, right? So there's that. So hearing her in 1960 be in this conversation and talk about the experience of Amer of an American Jew, I mean, the one thing that didn't get said, and I don't, and maybe that's because it wasn't part of the vocabulary as much then. I don't, I don't know. I'm definitely not a historian. Um, but at one point back in the office, they said something like, why don't, uh, they, there were so many anti-Semitic <laughs> remarks, but, yeah, uh, you know, why don't, why don't, why don't the Jews here look like these Jews? Um, the, the answer is without the slurs, there are Ashkenazi Jews and Sephardic Jews. It's literally the, you know, Jews from Israel are, are Middle Eastern and then Eastern European Jews are, are give you Rachel Mencken and, and me. And a lot of American Jews and her experience. Most of, American Jews are Ashkenazi. Yeah. And that's the, that's the, and, the bloodline. Exactly. And her experience of I'm barely a Jew, um, but I know my shit and I have my, and I am comforted by the fact that Israel exists for me, even though I, you know, and may, and no, I don't want to move there. I may want to visit. This is my home. And there aren't very many references you know, to the Holocaust or World War II, but uh, you'll notice Eichmann and mm -hmm. his being captured, which was obviously news of the day, um, gets a mention. And I think that's all you need to hear. It's like we're still we're still finding Nazis, Don. Yeah, <laughs> like the world. We're not that far past where like extermination was was the first item on people's checklist that day, right? So 
so so so so the need for an the need for an Israel, the need for a homeland, and obviously the again the recontraction of of the people um, who had no place to go when they were being exterminated. Um, we're trying to remedy that, and that's that's a big part of the story. So she's saying that I want there to be a place. God forbid it ever happens here. I'll have a place to go. I mean, that's really the most existential part of the of the of the meaning of Israel, right? Is that there's a place to go, right? I, I, there's the literal place to go, and there's the I have a homeland in my mind, whether I ever use it or not. There's the idea, mm-hmm. and I know that. So for me, a a, a full generation or two generations or however that gets sliced later. Um, Israel, I never saw Israel as a literal place where I might need to go. Although in the last few years I've considered it, but also to what you were saying, growing up, uh, Nazis were ancient history to me. And, and as I've gotten older, that's, you know, and more, and I can refer to my own decades, that ancientness has come a lot more, re, you know, feels a lot more recent. And with the, with what's been happening in, in this country, I mean, something that I never, 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 never thought I would do is, is, is join a synagogue. But I did after the tree of life massacre in Pittsburgh, uh, I did that. So it's, again, this is all the, the, the anti-Semitism of the show. I never rubbed, you know, and it's the display of anti-Semitism. I'm not saying the show is anti-Semitic. It's showing, it's displaying, you know, what was sort of more prevalent and apparently still is in a lot of our country. So it's just that the meaning has shifted for me. It deepened for me. The heart of that conversation with Don is when he mentions utopia and she defines utopia, you know, very interestingly as uh, the good place and the place that will never be. Well, mm. There is a double entendre there, right? I mean, she's talking about perhaps Israel and utopia uh, in in the in the literal sense, but she's really also talking about their relationship. Absolutely, right? it'd be oh, it sounds great. It'll never happen, right. you know. So that's the the again the beauty of the show and one of those things where you just kind of shake your head and wonder how 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 this all comes together. I, mean, <laughs> I think the other thing that that's worth um, really focusing on. That amazing brainstorm focus group uh, after they want to talk about Belgerly lipstick and Freddie and the account guys are, you know, about as uh, uh, qualified as I am to talk about women's lipstick. That uh, well, that's they because they were sh- that's because they were shitty at their job. I'm gonna just <laughs> you know we don't have as much separate like the fact that men couldn't write for women's products was was laziness yeah, no, and misogyny. It, it, well, yes, yes, but I'll, 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 I'll grant them this, okay? It was a time like the, there was no, there was no metrosexual. Even if you weren't one, you didn't know one, okay? Yeah, there were homosexuals, but they, there, that wasn't a thing, you know, that you'd see on TV or around the office. There, there was, where would they really, you know, twenty years ago? It was World War Two. If you weren't fighting, you know, you weren't allowed to buy nylons for your wife. You know what I mean? Like there was such a <laughs> – the, the the culture wasn't as, um, for lack of a better term, feminized as it is now. So now I think you're lazy if you can't 
get your head around a female product to write for. No, I think it was lazy. Assuming you're a guy being asked to write for a female product to begin with. I think it was lazy. But back then, how the hell would they know? Because, well, because, because they'd be interested. They were lazy as a culture. You're not, you're not saying anything different than what I'm saying. You're just, you're just giving them a pass. I don't give them a pass. I I agree. I think, but I, but I, I, women have to know what men, but I wouldn't pass judgment on their characters because I am, there was nothing more expected of them. Well, why why would they? That's because they were the ones setting the expectations to a degree. Totally. To a degree. I don't know. Uh, uh, Freddie, there's a Freddie Rumson at every firm and none of them could have written a lipstick ad. That's right. Not I'm not, no, 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 no. I'm not saying the men at Sterling Cooper were particularly lazy. I'm saying these men in advertising, the idea that they couldn't even try to figure out, and it didn't occur to them. It, it occurred to them to go as far as bring in the secretaries to try lipsticks. It didn't occur to them to look to seek out a woman to write on the team, which is which is part of what is done now. I mean, part right. of it is, it, you know, um, I actually worked on, many years ago on the NuvaRing account when NuvaRing was fairly new, and it was primarily a team of women that they put together um, because, but that was, you know, because it was in the 2000s and agencies had women and they were at least smart enough to say, okay, we do need some sure. insider's perspective. But just the idea that we... I don't know. I can't write about this. I'm like a dog playing a piano, which is not what the line was. But you know, it's just uh, they were just a bunch of orangutans about it. No question, they're they're throwing it to the chickens, which is a line I try and work in once a week. Oh, good, good. One, I one look forward to it. <laughs> throw it to the chicken. Um, yeah. So so yeah, they're they at least the minimal amount of human awareness to know that they don't know anything about lipstick. Um. So they open up this this focus group, and oh boy, what, and this is like to me, this is like a signature scene. Oh, in you this can it, series you signature can, scene in this series. Absolutely, you can it, it, it ter- talk about enduring visuals. Like you can <laughs> picture this the scene visuals, years later. But there is um, shout out to David Carbonara who writes the original score for Mad Men. Who there is this bouncy little music <laughs> underneath the entire scene that just to me like it makes it seem like a dreamland. Like I don't know if there were like lollipops and cotton candy falling from the ceiling. Like that's what this music sounds like. So condescending. He wrote the most oh, condescending yeah. music. <laughs> just drips, like how do you do yeah. that, right? <laughs> stand and salute that. What's with mouse ears over there? What I find more fascinating is when we're in the room with the ladies because Joan, the little things that happen, you know, she's there trying to help the girls answer the researcher's question, the Gutman again, right? This is the, the yeah. last time I think we see her. You know, she's she says to jo- Joan's trying to like coach the girls how to answer. 
And Gutman goes, you, stand over there. And Joan, just, you got to go back and watch this if you didn't catch it. Joan just looks at her side eye, takes a drag on her cigarette, and goes from leaning on her front foot to leaning on her back foot. That is her, you know, getting out of the way. (laughs) So just to watch this, you know, Joan with the drag on the cigarette and very dramatic, but like she doesn't take her eyes off of Gutman as if you're not going to tell me where to go and just goes and leaning on, leaning forward to leaning back. That is her getting out of the way. Awesome. It's so delicious. It's so great. So, you know, it's a lot of that kind of stuff and she's, you know, trying to, uh, yeah, they like I said they keep um you know someone says oh we need a man in there so they'll take it serious Joan is the man in there Joan is doing the job of of the account team and the creative team and getting you know uh getting everybody in line uh, what is it what does someone say brainstorm it sounds so I don't know confusing or something yeah <laughs> she's just like oh just give me your opinions and she's interpreting questions but she's also you know grabbing the lipstick from someone who's trying to walk away with it and. Um, you know, keeping order, right, S- uh, with without breaking a sweat. So, so, so it's not a brainstorm. It's a focus group. <laughs> <laughs> right. That is not what a brainstorm is. <laughs> right. It's, and it's and that does also- sound intimidating. Maybe intimidating was a word I don't remember either. But that does sound intimidating if you're just, if you've, it, right? Like, they're, <laughs> it's suddenly, anyway. Right. It's just, it's the if wrong you're word. actually going to be asked for opinions, which yeah. you're not. And let's all figure um, out what we're supposed to say about this or whatever. Yeah, no, yeah. it's just opening up the trough and watching the animals rush to the trough. I mean, that's really what what goes on there. That's how the men, and, uh, that is how the men viewed it. Yeah, but that's also what it was. It's like, oh, well, who used the most, what, what, what color got used the most? Therefore, that's the most popular. That's what we should focus on. So it is this completely one-dimensional type of research that's happening uh, although Gutman's asking these slightly more in-depth questions. Um, so there's that when we talk about how much we learn about Joan just through her approach and attitude is just pages and pages of information with her. But we also learn a lot about Peggy, right? Because, and we spend a lot of time kind of, again, great music kind of focusing on on Peggy's reaction. She didn't get her color, so she's sitting back and observing and man, there's just, the wheels are turning inside that head, and um, and it's not even remarkable. Freddie noted, and, Fre- and Freddie Freddie chats her up. Sorry, yeah. But, well, no. What's interesting is uh, the wheels are turning inside her head, uh, unremarkably to Peggy, because she's a human with thoughts, <laughs> and and she's just thinking like she always thinks about things. It's only remarkable to the men. That, oh yeah, that, that, Peggy, that a woman would would do more than just try on lipstick and go back to your desk. Yes, right? and and have actual right. thoughts and insights and and preferences beyond color. I mean, she, right. she that, that's what Peggy expressed. She didn't just express, "Oh, I didn't get my yeah. color." She expressed a whole feeling and ethic almost around right. having a preference. What well, an understanding of what goes into the choice of a lipstick or the choice of a of a of an accessory of any kind, right? Is is I want to stand out. I'm not one of a thousand colors in a box, blah, 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 which are fascinating insights. Yeah, we're not one size fits all. For then as well as now. Um, But she's not trying to like elbow into the account. Exactly. She's not thinking of herself as an account person, but she has a natural affinity for, yeah, like a writer does, a natural uh, acclimation toward um, 
you know, as Freddie puts it later, the the benefit. Yes. Over the feature. Yes. And um, she goes right to it and it's very natural for her. And that's what's so great to watch. Now, we look at that and say, oh, it's so natural and organic and it's great to watch. Freddie later calls it like watching a dog play the piano, which is an unkind <laughs> thing to, to say. To say the least, yes. But, uh, <laughs> but, but, the, but the larger point is that Peggy's standing out and um, intentionally or non-intentionally. And, um, you know, Freddie chats her up. Which color did you like? To Freddie's credit, we're not seeing a lot of redeeming qualities about Freddie as we've met him. He's kind of charming right. and funny and a little bit bumbling and full of misogyny and, and terrible things. But the writer that is Freddie, and he seems to be a fairly senior level writer, um, not oh. as high as Don, but he does seem to have some, so, you know, so the, the, the guy that got him to that position is the guy that noticed that Peggy said, said, made some observations. Instantly. Uh, Yeah, he he didn't, he heard it and he went, oh, zoop. And and a lesser, a lesser tuned ear, a lesser creative wouldn't have necessarily, would have let that go by. He did catch her talent. Someone who would let non-essential qualities get in the way. That's right. right. She's She's a secretary, what does she know? As opposed to, that's a great line. Where'd you get that? Which is what Joan was doing. Joan wasn't. Joan was never going to hear Peggy's talent. Joan is only interested yeah. in Peggy Joan, as a Joan secretary. Has no, right, right. Joan has no interest in adv- developing anyone's career beyond being a secretary. Yes. Um, and because that's her job, and that's the way the whole thing is set up is yeah. is for that. But but in this case, yeah, Freddie. You know, and I look at it as, you know, it's funny. the The first scene in the series was Don in the bar chatting up an African-American busboy. So he could learn more about Lucky Strike cigarettes. Um, Don had to go outside of his bubble, outside of his comfort zone or everyday life to get some insight from, from a different perspective. And that's what he was doing. And we've talked about how that's very natural for Don and so inquisitive and he gets out into the world and he needs to, to ask people questions. And that's how he learns. We see a very similar thing here with Freddie. He immediately recognizes that Peggy has some insight. And by chatting her up and asking her, initially, it's just, what was your favorite color, I believe? You know, it was a very basic question, but she comes across with with so much um, clarity, as he says, you know, the, the, the feature over the, be- uh, the feature, benefit over the feature. But um, Freddie's doing the same thing. And the whole idea of bringing the women in when when they recognize they're not qualified to to do this themselves is the same thing it's part of that creative process that this show is so wonderful at at demonstrating um about getting out of your own bubble to get insights and not only does do they get it from the women uh the the the, the group of women but peggy stands out as having really something interesting to contribute and so i think there's a real parallel to what we saw with Don early on. Yeah. I don't want to make too much of it because I don't, I don't think it's, you know, meaningful in some larger perspective, but it is about the creative process. It is. And it's a little bit of a callback. It is definitely a little bit, it may or may not have been a deliberate callback, but it, 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 there's a parallel for sure. Yeah. Right, right down to, um, to Joan playing the role of the, the restaurant, the bar manager saying, is he bothering you? Like, you know, Peggy, get back to your desk. Um, you know, there's this kind of interruption to, to this, this uh this unusual discussion but um 
yeah, I think Freddie is an open, intellectually open and curious guy, kind of as buffoonish as as the character is. Yes. Um, he's a creative. He's a good writer for what he does, and he spots and, talent. Uh, he definitely he spots talent. talent. And exactly, and and I think that's that's something we'll continue to see with Peggy's Peggy's career. Yeah, let's let's take a quick break. Let's do that. Uh, so uh, we have more to discuss about the episode. We've got favorite quotes, and we'll be right back after we watch <laughs> Nikita Khrushchev pluck a chicken. to just bring up one little thing <laughs> you know salvatore is still this out there character um no definitely no pun intended um uh we the scene with don and betty when they're talking about eyebrows and joan crawford and and that's when betty gets into the whole the whole idea of beauty and she talks about her mother which which we've already uh, mentioned but don saying uh first of all he says some men like eyebrows which you then see him with Rachel later and all her eyebrows. Then he says, <laughs> all men like jo- Joan Crawford or all men love Joan Crawford. And then he says, Salvador was just going on and on about Joan Crawford. <laughs> now, it wasn't a trope in 1960, but it is certainly a trope now who the gay icons are. <laughs> and Joan Crawford is like... <laughs> Those holding torches might not have been so obvious. But That's now, right. <laughs> you know, um, Joan Crawford held a torch judy garland held a torch uh something about the the dramatic nature and arc of their lives and their careers that just brings it all out so yeah i mean drag drag has taken drag is in a new renaissance but there was uh certain you know at one point drag was a lot a lot of impersonations and Mm -hmm. and who got impersonated you know were a particular group of women and Joan Crawford was definitely one of them. So anyway, that was a fun nod. If, if I had that conversation today with my wife under the exact same circumstance, she'd say, is Salvatore gay? That's right. And I'd, be Ex- like, and I'd have an answer because I'd know. And it would be Seems like, Seems yeah, like he's just not saying yeah. it to us. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. Exactly. Uh, whereas I think it just kind of brushed on by. So I, you know, I think one of the, one of the really great things in the way this episode ends is, is one of the more beautiful endings um, both literally with the ending because it ends with the the wonderful singing at the at the gaslight, uh, the song that we hear. But I mean beautiful in that there's this kind of amazing full circle. I already mentioned earlier how I'm sorry to really know, inter- I'm like coldly interrupting. We really interrupt. don't talk about Joan and Roger scenes. We say we're gonna talk about them, but we actually don't. I don't know how to talk about this episode without that. Yeah, and I don't I don't mind the interruption. So let's okay. talk about Joan and Roger because <laughs> A, it's fun. B, um it was a big reveal. It was a fun little uh big reveal to see Joan and Roger at a hotel middle of the day, middle of the week. Um And like I said, we six you're sort of sixth sensing your way backwards to like, oh, this has been happening the whole time. Yeah, there's been flirtations and 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 kind of things where um uh, this seems perfectly legit and perfectly yeah, like right. Like like what what you're seeing is what you're looking back and seeing is Oh, those were well coordinated cover ups. That's <laughs> exactly. that's what's there. But what I, I think part of it is I was thinking about the reason I I was thinking about the uh the 
the emotional depth that this episode carried and and somehow in those scenes with Joan and Roger despite all of their cat again cat and mouse um and mm-hmm. we don't we're not going to get serious and we should get serious and and you know what she what she you know I know more about men and we learn to your point, we learn about she's got a roommate. She's got Carol, the roommate. She's, you know, mm. we, we learn a lot of things through that, through those conversations. But to me, there is such a, you know, I, I, I'm not one to, to call something true love or not true love from a, an affair I'm watching on television. Um, but, but there, there was something so gratifying about seeing these two equals mm. i mean she's probably the the, the superior the, the emotionally inte- intellectual superior but they are like just like oh that's who you want to see joan with like married or not that's right. right it works great on so many great levels because because of how much we've seen with don seeing roger you know having extramarital uh affairs doesn't doesn't shock Right, because we've we've seen all this kind of grittiness with with how Don goes about it. But seeing um, him have one of such stature, I don't know. Yeah, just, they are. And the well, scenes because, were sexy because look, Joan, Joan and Roger are two characters that are on that that whether we recognized it or not at this point, both see the world in the same way, and and kind of you know that's very uh, good. Lo- lo- love having. Just a little bit over the rest of the world. So she loves knowing that she's screwing the boss. He loves knowing that she that he's screwing the the hot younger um, head of the secretary uh, pool. Um, so so they have that kind of kind of parallelism. Yes, They're and younger both- younger but not ridiculously younger, right? Not, like she's she's a grown up. She's a substantive. Person. Right. With authority, <laughs> right. With authority and, in and, that office. Right. So she's not she's not like some young chippy. But but at the same time, what what's so great about it is um they're both also very realistic about this, right? There's no one else you'd want to see be able to take care of Roger's daughter with, you know, finding the right hairdresser. And 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 being able to to uh, stand sort of face to face with Mona mm-hmm. while this affair is very active uh, and sort of interact with Mona. And I don't think Mona suspects no. a single thing. No, in um, fact, it's Joan and Joan and Don approach and Mona. Right. Maybe, it's, handsome couple, maybe right? it's for cognitive dissonance healing purposes, but she's what a handsome couple or look at you two or whatever, whatever that no, is. No, I think right? I, I think Mona is the, you know, the grand dame who, you know, she's been coming into that office for years and years and she knows the drill. And no, I don't think she's on to, to Joan at all. And, uh, but Joan can pull it off. I mean, that's the part that's so delicious yes. is yes. she's able to, you know, well, here's where the girls are going and you get your hair done. I'll make an appointment and you're going to love them. And, you know, always good girls are going to lunch. I mean, she can just handle everything. Just like so, she told Peggy. Just <laughs> exactly. <laughs> this is all, you know, revealed. And 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 again, she doesn't have to say a word about herself. We are discovering this and enjoying every moment. So, 
Yeah. So, so, so these two getting together just feels it's the most right thing you felt. Now, what I've always wondered, mm. uh, and begun to wonder more with all, you know, watching it again these years later is, okay, so this Joan Holloway character wasn't meant to be so prominent in the script and, and Christine Hendricks comes in, Christine Hendricks comes in and blows it out of the water and is just amazing to watch and great performance and reads every line you know, dripping, you know, (laughs) squeezes every, every drop out of every line. And it's so wonderful. So at what point does Matthew Weiner decide, okay, that this happened? Yeah. Roger and Roger and Joan, let's get these two, these two are, this is too good not to do. Right. Cause I don't think, I don't think it was inevitable from, from that standpoint. No, no, no. And I would say, you know, jot it down. Let's get them on here. We can, uh, we can try to get him on and uh, for an interview, but you know that's a great that's actually a great question for him. At what point did you did, you know? There's no there's no question that the character of Joan got developed out of Christina's performance. There's no question, yeah. and you, know? you can see it right. Yeah. So so you know, as far as I'm concerned, the minute she opens her mouth in the pilot, it's like wait a minute, <laughs> yeah. this isn't this isn't a minor character after all. You are seeing a genuinely different side of Joan. She's got that little girl voice with him. Mm -hmm. She's, she's, and it's not a, it's not, it's not a play little girl voice. It's, she's really, she's just, it's in, it's in a, it's in her element in a completely different. She likes being cute with him. She likes how she, he, he makes her feel, but it's the most sort of, um, it's the most sort of grown up relationship we see in the show to this point, because you know, not only do they talk about real life and he can mention his wife and she kind of doesn't blink. Um, although but she although she when he talks about leaving his wife, that's where she slaps him in the face. And it's a soft slap, but gives him a little slap in the face and says, no, we, we don't go there. Right. That's right. She absolutely yeah. there is. There is no talk about she's very clear. I am what's making your marriage work. She's yeah, actually it, exactly it, it, it's, exactly in a way it's her version. It, it's not it, it's not fully selfless. She is absolutely getting from this relationship, but she also you know I mean part of it is I, this is kind of what I said back about Peggy, you know, and Pete. There's a there's the flattery. There's the there's the 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 king the king of the of everything chose me right. I can that's the mm. one I'm gonna get. I'm you know yeah. she's not gonna settle. She's you know Paul Paul Kinsey wasn't wasn't you know didn't make didn't toot her ego enough but Mm. also um but but there's a there is a bit of a take one for the team i am here gluing your marriage together and if you pull one pin out one one piece out of this jenga whatever yeah like no that you no we don't you don't leave your wife and she's happy to play that role she's she's delighted to be the thing that keeps that marriage together like that's to her, that is just again. These are two people who understand how the world works, yes. and they're they're totally. But Roger, we 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 already begin to see is, you know, a little less. I don't know if the word disciplined or um, maybe it's more hopeless romantic. You know, yes, he's he's the one already being like, oh, I can't stand it. I want to get away. You know, and she has to she has to slap him back into reality, but. But also, but no, she, she, she's delighted in that in in having that role. She prides herself in her right. being able to keep it together. That's but right. she's not without her melancholy. She is that bird in a cage, 
Uh, I mean, that last shot of the that last shot of the episode with the two of them leaving the hotel being leaving the hotel, you know, what's the the line is something about I like hotels, you leave with what you came in with. Well, in that last in that closing shot. She's yeah. got a bird. She did not come in with that bird, <laughs> right? right. So it's again, it's a it's really not... great point. But it's a twist on it's a it's a twist on the on the sentiment, and I'll I'll put it back into the context of the fleeting nature and and cycles yes. of life, which is you know even that thing of uh, I hate I hate food close to the bed. It reminds me of a hospital. You know, it's all of these parts of the conversation that, that was dark. Right? So much depth. It was dark. And, Again, and, gives but, you gives you so much texture to this unexplained, unexamined, gives so much texture to this character. One line. Mm-hmm. That's right. And she's not said a word about herself. And you just you 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 learn everything from from how she approaches her situations. Um so yeah, so Joan and Roger and and what I do love, and we'll obviously we're circling back to to Don going to visit Midge, is that you know the 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 banter that we get between these two it's so crisp and it's so enjoyable and it's almost as if the the writers are just almost having fun with the audience by giving them this this Joan and Roger in private uh uh scenario the first time they're getting dressed and it's this it's this great sharp dialogue but the next time that we see them is when Joan does, you know leaves with the bird mm. And it's silence. It's, you know, it's, it's playing under the, the music. So there's no dialogue. It's totally silent. And it's, it's what, you know, prompts this kind of hopper comparison. Yeah. Um, the silence of it all. But it's almost like they're, they're doing like this little dance of getting dressed and picking up the package, the, the, the cage. Yeah. Well, they know and how to. Putting on, putting on the coat and him helping her on with her coat and leaving, you know, as they have to do, leaving the hotel in silence without, rec- you know. And without each other. Uh, yeah, without acknowledging one another and standing on opposite ends of the uh, little cab, cab area. Um, that's beautiful. That's completely gorgeous cinematography uh but to me it was also a counterpoint it was mm-hmm. kind of the other side of the coin like we have this great little banter and we're so sharp and clever and we enjoy ourselves so much um but the other side of it is the silence and the need to a keep the secret um but this is not for for public consumption this is this is the other the other part of it is we don't get to share this that's and right. maybe they don't want to, but but um, that is nonetheless part of it. And the I way mean, what that- I what I see with Joan is that she doesn't even allow herself to consider wanting more. It's no. just that is not entertained. Not from Roger. I don't think not she's in love with Roger like that. It's well, just she won't. That- my point is, she won't even. She won't let herself be. She won't let herself. She won't ask herself. Do I love this guy? There's no point. She has that mm-hmm. very carefully um, walled off. There's no, mm-hmm. you know, you've got Rachel Mencken going, crap, I I could love this guy and it's mm. going to be a terrible thing for me, but I'm going to do it. And mm. you've got Joan going, no, 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 no. We don't even, she could love Roger. Yeah. She could not love Roger. She isn't. She is, it's not on the menu. Yeah. It's not on the menu. That's exactly it. Yeah. yeah. Um, no, but it's like I said, it's it's a treat for the audience to see these two. And, oh my um, goodness! 
it's it's everything great about the show. Is, and is so sexy. Ridiculous, those two together. Really great. Really yeah. great. Um, so, you know, we're going to circle back now to the, the end of the the end of the episode, which is Don doing his his uh, not come and knock on my door in the village to to Midge's apartment, um, and they just go right at it. And I'm thinking, wow, this is this is not this is not the car pulling into the driveway where I've been expecting you, longing for you, thinking about you all day. Right. This is a spontaneous knock on my door, man coming to 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 go have a have a have a roll in the hay. I want you to ravage me all of that without yeah, having truly. made the phone call. Yeah. Just just spon- sp- pure pure spontaneity, which again is kind of like a different kind of sexiness, but um this one obviously is is extracurricular. So I think it's a great counterpoint though that you know Don has one woman who's got the you know waiting for the car in the driveway and the put the kids to bed early and and married life and, and, and the sexuality that takes place within married life and this is the sexuality that takes place when <laughs> when two people are not married yeah um but it's on his terms right this is goes back to before before the 5G episode right she she can't call him he comes when he wants he brings with him whatever he has with him um and he's literally getting ready for for bedtime when Roy walks in that's, Enter that's Roy. Enter Roy, <laughs> who who is kind of drawn like a caricature, but if you listen to him, he's really not, right? Go ahead. I I saw him more as a caricature, but you yeah, you, that I, doesn't I, I mean had until until this viewing, right? I mean, you know, he kind of handles Don okay. He's got the typical kind of hippie bohem or proto hippie bohemian. Uh, you know, you create the want and the the. Um, commercialism is bad kind of ethos. So yeah, it's, it's we're still it's kinda, here. We're still battle. We're still battling capitalism. Versus, yeah, very much so. Versus very communism so. or versus socialism rather. Um, but he, one of the things I noticed was, um, you know, we've seen Don and Midge together several times and we can see their compatibility, but in this framing where you've got Roy on one side and then you've got Don and Midge and there is Don in his suit. And suddenly mm-hmm. he looks really like the man and like he oh, doesn't fit totally. in her apartment. And they've never, he's never looked like he doesn't fit in that same, to that degree. That was a beautiful shot. But Midge is that bridge between the two worlds, right? She can, she's the, she's a, a freelance artist who, you know, might get hired by an agency to do do work for a corporate client, but she's also, um, you know, helping with Roy's cooperative, his little theater group. And she's the only way that Don would, you know, cross paths with a Roy to begin with. So we're assuming they're lovers. Um, and this is the first, you know, she's alluded to it, right? Somebody gave mm-hmm. her a TV, which couldn't have been Roy, mm-hmm. <laughs> actually, <laughs> yeah. right? But yeah. just like Joan, Joan, no, Joan, mm-hmm. right? Joan dangled the same thing to Roger. Right. I have friends, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know? Yeah, we so, go out, we have fun. No, nobody's sitting home just waiting for the married guy to come over. But no, I think it's clear that like when when 
Roy says, I mean, it's pretty explicit. Roy's like full dance card. I mean, that's, yes, <laughs> that's <laughs> yep. what that means. Yes, uh, it is. <laughs> is. See someone, oh, somebody beat me to it. We are going to head down to the club. <laughs> I don't know why Don goes. It makes no sense to me that he would go, but he does. I guess he's just hoping to, if this is what I'll have to endure to get what I came down here for, then I'll, <laughs> I'll go, go, you know, it's a I'll good go question. to the gaslight. It's mm-hmm. a good question. So first of all, this is, you know, we, we mentioned it earlier, not, not in this episode, that Mad Men, you kind of never, you never know where you're going to end up and quite literally. And this was a great example of that where yeah, yeah. We, we, we go to that club. That's where the show ends. You just, we, who knew we would, we would, you know, so that's one thing. But why does Don go is a good question. He's just been rejected by Rachel. He doesn't know Rachel had that conversation with her sister. Right? Yeah, true. You know, so he 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 had a real buildup. Like he had this whole ploy. Like I'm going to do the Jew research thing, which was you know, <laughs> Jew research, I mean, it right. was just you know, ugh. and yeah. she was like, I, I'm kind of offended by this. But ultimately, mm-hmm. it was oh my god, I get to see Rachel again one on one for lunch, and of course he had hopes, and he made his move, and she rejected him. So he's now mm. rejected by Rachel. Goes right into Midge's arms again. He definitely doesn't no want to go home. But also, I think this is the the pissing contest that Midge alluded to. I don't think he was going to peace out and leave Roy like I can, like I can do it. I can go to a club. I, you think I can't you think I'm too straight to go to one of your stupid yeah, clubs? There's a, there's I think a there's a little bit. But remember, of that. she entices him, right? So I'm going to wear That's a skirt true. and nothing else. Like she's she's That's true. Yeah, I mean he 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 gets wooed and he Don is nothing if not very wooable. That's true. <laughs> so, like I said, I think it's just he's like, all right, this is what I got to do to get what I came down to the village for. You know, how long could this take? But that also gives us, you know, the whole exchange with Roy at the club, which, again, I think is just the writers having, you know, gifting the audience with this. And both and both men were just terrible. <laughs> Don, like reveling in this being the man kind of thing. Um, if she, you know, spent as much time on her hair as you did, that... But Don having fun, you know, what do you do? I blow up bridges. You know, Midge is enjoying it. She's soaking it in, watching these two kind of uh, do a cat and mouse thing of their own. I don't know if she's enjoying it. I think there's some hope where they would get along better and sort of see what's redeeming in each of them and not have to defend the other to the other for all of eternity. But that's not how that went. That's my, that's my take. I mean, I think she, I think she has enough respect for Don intellectually to to try to get him to come, which is what she did, right? right? She didn't look at it and go, all right, I know he's never going to put up with this shit. You know, um, she's like, no, I can get him to stay. <laughs> Watch. Uh, and, and, and it, and it sets this whole thing up. So there's a little banter and it's great. So the, the after the, the kind of uh, very pedestrian <laughs> sort of acts that we see, I guess that the gaslight was, was known for back then. Um, someone reading, I don't know, a marriage announcement out of the New York Times. So funny. A little of everything. But you get this um, very beautiful rendition of of the song Babylon, which is a psalm uh, that's been reinterpreted many times, I think, over the well, years. Well, the song – so the song as a song was written by Don McLean and it was on the American Pie album. It, in this case, David Carbonara, the musical director of the show, is on – over to our right on the auto harpy thing. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, he's, he's is, in the band. <laughs> it's rich. He's in the band. It's absolutely beautiful. I, uh, just a few weeks ago, I attended my Friday night Zoom Shabbat, and we have a 
children's choir when there's only three kids in the junior choir and, you know, you can't really sing together on Zoom. If you've ever tried singing happy birthday on Zoom, you know this. Um, <laughs> there's apps that sync things up. They, my point is they performed this song just a few weeks oh, ago. Wonderful. And how they did it was they just each... They each sang a solo, the same verse three times, and they didn't have to harmonize or even sync up one and then one and then one. But I was like, oh, there it is. <laughs> so it's still relevant and moving. But he was moved. That was what was interesting. And that was what was unspoken. Yeah, he was. I think, And I think he was kind of hit by, you know, a, a thunderbolt with it. This montage that includes Joan and Roger leaving their hotel room. It's also Betty... With a young Sally. Putting the lipstick on her Putting just like in the on. focus group. I know. No, it was incredibly poignant to watch that. It's sort of like I'm training you to go out into the world to be, you know, for lack of a better word, uh, you know, to be to be useless from Betty's comments earlier in the episode she, and other episodes. She's obsessed. She she really only sees value in being beautiful. And that's it. That's and right. it's it's. It's you know, and something. the comment about her mother, you know, about how fetching she was even in her last days, and I hope I'd go. But what did she say? I mean, the, the essence of the line was, "I hope I die before I get old." I mean, it was that's really, right, that's right, which was wildly. But that's Betty. That that's, that's the character. Betty. That's what we are learning about her. So, yeah. uh, what's Rachel doing? She's looking at ties, just like when she was at lunch with Don. Yeah. She reached out and cleaned off his tie, like she. Gave him the cufflink, you know, at yeah. the at the, the the meeting a couple episodes prior. So, so many of these callbacks, so many of these images that tie in all of these things, all of these relationships and moments and themes, um, again, that I see around cycles and life and death and the temporary nature of, of what we do here uh, that this episode really captures. It's really... Something amazing to see. You know, the entire series is rewatchable, but this episode, I mean, I could sit down again and watch it tonight. No, no question. Yeah. Well, this was the episode that drove me to, I think this and 5G were the ones that where I began to say, there's got to be other people watching this, right? There's got to be other right, people right, right. who are thinking about this the next day the way I am. You want to talk about it. And learn. And what do other people think? You know, again, in 2007, there wasn't the same online culture that there is now where you there can was no find Twitter. out anything about anything. Anyway, we hope you're enjoying it as much as we do. We're going to um, take a quick break. break. Yep. And uh, we're going to come back with uh, our favorite quotes of the week. A little, another little origin story for you. So we will be right back. Quotes of the week. I'm loving this. I love quotes of the week. There's a couple that uh, I just want to throw out there that are not either of our quotes of the week. Um, mm. Roger, <laughs> Roger Sterling, aren't you going to have any of this? Look, we've got oysters, Rockefeller, beef, Wellington, Napoleons. We leave this lunch alone. It'll take over Europe. I mean, that is just <laughs> for your pleasure and mine. <laughs> like, come on. <laughs> I think they just have fun writing them. And, you know, having John Slattery deliver your your dialogue is kind of like this this amazing gift. So uh, you're kind of writing for the actor as well as for the character. One of the delightful things about about Roger Sterling and the way he's written and the way he's played, and I think Matthew Weiner has said this, is he laughs at his, at his own jokes. He cracks himself up. It's not like on a sitcom where people are just wisecracking and nobody's laughing. It's like uh -huh. he's like, <laughs> I just said that. I cut you off with from your quote with a quote. So let's really do this. Here's my quote. Because sometimes things come, good things, but there is no future in them. 
that's Rachel Mencken talking to her sister mm. on the phone. Um, I never caught that line before. I'd never noticed that line before. Um, it wasn't until taking notes for this episode and beginning to put together, because it comes about halfway through when she calls him, when she calls her sister, um, that I began to start to notice some of these, the, the existential theme of this episode that, that I was beginning to, to capture. Yeah. And, um, that line really stood out. Sometimes things come, good things, but there's no future in them. And it's sort of like, you know, that applies to Jews in exile. That applies to uh, someone you want to begin a relationship with, but don't feel that you can. A line like that would be felt very, very deeply by her. It's it's quite a, quite a show of resignation. Hmm. She's not overjoyed that she's going into this relationship. She's resigned. No. Like she doesn't feel like she has a choice. <laughs> like, I don't have any point. choice. Right. Yeah. But her sister is encouraging. You know, the whole, I love the whole thing with daddy hate him. Daddy would hate him. Would, and what was the phrase? I consider myself pretty good with colloquial Yiddish. She said, she, she said, is he funny? He goes after a few. So, so he's a, so he's a shicker. Is what she yes. says. Uh, I had to look it up. I said, I don't know what shicker means. I've never heard that one before. But shicker means a drunk. And boy, oh boy, I was, <laughs> I had to, I really had to great. be like, Jesus, I, that, I, that, that, that one's never crossed my radar. So, <laughs> so yeah, so this is a great, a great little, as Mad Men has so many, great little sort of one-off conversation there. But um it it the the line the line stood out to me. Mm. All right, my line of the week is, "Here's your basket of kisses." Mm. Uh, so that is, uh, of course, Peggy with the waste basket handing it to Freddie Rumson, and that's where he goes. Wait, what'd you say? What? <laughs> you know, he heard he heard something. Here's your basket of kisses. Basket of kisses. That's cute. A writer and a blog is born. So Basket of Kisses was the name of, of, the, of the blog that my sister and I founded, where Dan eventually joined our, our, our staff of writers. And, you know, we are, uh, it, it comes up a lot today in this episode. I, I'm, it's just on my mind a lot. I used it for some research and, and also because of, because of this, because of the name. You know, when you're starting, when you turn to your sister and you say, hey, let's start a blog about Mad Men, then the first thing you start doing is brainstorming names. That's what brainstorming means, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> brainstorming used properly. not counting tissues right and you know and we came up with and there was only a few you know we were, were a few episodes in when we're trying to figure this out and we're coming up with quotes of the show and chinaman and the, <laughs> just the terrible terrible names <laughs> you know <laughs> and then finally uh uh, it was basket of kisses and we, we kind of oh yeah that's good and also and then i said to my sister also that's the moment a woman becomes a writer and we are two women writers. Oh, this is great. And it ended up having all this other, I mean, our last name is lip and there's lipstick and it, it, it a logo was born, all of that. <laughs> and then just FYI, Dan and I just recently went through the same project. We went through the living hell of trying to name this podcast. And it's just, it's just <laughs> such an, it's always such an interesting process because it's like, this will be okay. This works. This is fine. And then you get to this point, speaking of resignation, you get to this point where you're just like, fuck it, whatever, whatever, whatever. And then I was like, wait, what about they coined it? And Dan was like, done. So it yeah. happened just as, you know. Well, you landed on, in both cases, you landed it. So you're, you have I, a talent I, for coming did up I with these names. Did I land it with my sister? 
Yeah. I actually, was it me? Is that how the story, is that how Oh, I don't know, goes? but I thought you said it was you. So I'm, I actually skipped I know saying, it was I, you. It might've been me the first time, but I don't remember. Um, I literally, I think it might've been her. I it's she'll, she'll remember. Um, anyway, that, more on that next week, but yeah, it's, you know, it's just going back to the line itself. It's a beautiful line. It's a beautiful illustration. It does show her talent. It, it gives you a, vi- it gives you a visual forever. You say the line, here's your basket of kisses. You picture it. I love how later Sal gets it wrong. It was, there's your <laughs> yeah, bucket, bucket, here's your of, bucket kisses. of kisses. Like, okay. I uh, get that you're an art guy and not a writing guy, but my goodness that, because he said, but that's also that, the kind of thing in real life that, that people better. really would, right. people would really get wrong. <laughs> and it's like, no, it's basket. I mean, basket of, it's, just, it easily. it's such a, it's such a poetic visual and bucket of kisses is not anyway. It's my, definitely my line of the week. Um, maybe my line of the season. It's a good one. It's a good one. Great stuff. Next time. We're going to get red in the face. I'm actually really looking forward to rewatching it because I, I have opinions about it and I'm going to, I'm going to be yeah. very, I'm going to clear my palate and watch it fresh and see what's Yeah, there. I have, this isn't one of the episodes that I would like casually rewatch over the years. So this might be the second or third time I've ever seen it um total so i'm i'm looking forward to that yeah follow us please uh we are on instagram we are on twitter uh listen i keep saying i'm going to set up the patreon so by the time this airs there might be a patreon uh if there is we will put it in in our notes in our uh show notes we are tci madmen pod across the board tci madmen pod so come check us out join follow please please review us on itunes um, that actually makes a difference. That gets us exposed to more listeners, gets us out there. And um, this has been great. And we will see you next time. Bye-bye.